to Church in Space in 3D. So today's topic is realism in science fiction. We've got this like traditional breakdown in science fiction. I've always heard it described as like hard versus soft sci-fi, right? Like hard sci-fi is like what Clark wrote. Mm -hmm. In one of his stories, he actually literally invented the geosynchronous satellite because he didn't patent it. (laughs) He never gets any credit. Some engineer just like basically took what he described in the calculations in the story (laughs) and like made GPS basically. (laughs) And so there's like that. Based on actual science. Based on actual science. And I read Clark Magazine, which like publishes still like a lot of the hard sci-fi. Like they still say on their thing, you can't have science fiction without the science. Like, you know, imagine Frankenstein without the monster. You need the science aspect of it for it to actually make sense. No, you don't. Look at Star Wars. Barely any science in it. That's science fantasy. Right? And, oh, it's more about religion. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, but that's the argue, That's the distinction, right? Yeah. So, like, then you get to the soft sci-fi stuff, which is whether it's, like, Ursula Le Guin, mm-hmm. where it's more, like, about psychology. Her science fiction is, like, actually more, it's really, like, a psychological thriller, yeah. like, set on a different planet. Yeah, the setting is sci-fi, but the actual story is like psychological thriller or like space opera where it's, yes, you can light speed travel and we don't. Yeah, we don't explain why. Right. Two, yeah, Star Wars is kind of the the science fantasy, like opposite end of the spectrum. You know, Mm -hmm. right. There is no scientific techno babble about like. Yeah, parsecs. Let's yeah. just go there. Right. <laughs> That's the most scientific that they get. <laughs> well, like, there's things in, like, the Star Wars universe, like, why whenever the ship gets destroyed, does it fall? <laughs> Do you ever notice this? Like, whenever the ship's destroyed, it, like, sinks, you know? <laughs> well, that was because they were using the props. It wasn't all CGI. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I, get, I get the reason, but, like, in episode six, when they destroy the the superstar destroyer, does it sink and crash into the Death Star? <laughs> what about the Star Wars universe makes gravity a force that makes everything sink, even in space? I don't want to get into the science, but I bet Dan could. Wouldn't the gravity be enough from the planet? But it does this in like deep space, too. But it can be deep space, right? Yeah. Think of Obi-Wan's first line. Upon seeing the Death Star, uh-huh. that's no moon. Yeah, right. Right. So it's it's that large. So that means it's going to have a gravity field. I mean, a comet has a gravity field. I, mean, I get and- that, but again. In deep space, it does this, right? Okay, you we're know? not, yeah. But also, like, it had to be close enough to the planet in order for the shield to be up. Uh-huh. So it had to be close, and the engines had to be running to keep it in geosynchronous I, I agree with all these arguments, maybe, around Endor. <laughs> yes, we're talking about Endor. Before there but was like, the CGI. The re- but, like, this, it does this in yeah. deep space. When it does it in deep space, no, you're, you're so far from any significant gravity well. Right. No. Everything would expand out from the center of wherever the biggest explosion was. Right. Yeah. But that gets into a whole nother aspect. The ships all make noise in deep space. I'm sorry. You're only going to hear the noise inside the ship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true. Outside the ship. <laughs> Silence. Proton torpedoes don't make noise. Or lasers. No. Right. The only sound they make is pew pew. <laughs> How long have we been waiting for that joke? <laughs> what joke? <laughs> no, but you're right. You know, because think about how many times people use lasers for presentations, yes. right? And so if lasers actually made noise, can you imagine how distracting that would be? Oh, it would be awesome. 
and over here, as you can see, Q1 growth and pew, um, did not yeah. equal Q3 growth over here. Pew. Makers of lasers, <laughs> we need to do this. <laughs> it's like electric cars, right? They're so quiet. Mm-hmm. That they build in little mini speakers that make car noise. Right. Yeah. You know, so we need to do that, yeah, with actual real life lasers. Right, right. That laser dr- anti drone weapon that like the US destroyers now have yeah. on them, they need to add a pew pew. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they should just call it. Yeah. A pew pew. Right. <laughs> Not a rail gun, it's a pew pew. Right. Experiment with Alexa. My home speaker, if I say, Alexa, fire photon torpedoes, it says, okay. Pew, pew. <laughs> I still cannot believe that because I have mine called computer. Yeah. I still can't believe that it recognized Word when nice Pike bike. was telling the computer to go to red alert, it would do it. Like it took three <laughs> times for me to be like, what the hell is going on? There's two different red alerts going on. One's not the right sound. Where's it coming from? <laughs> Hard versus soft sci-fi. Right. <laughs> I can appreciate that kind of super attention to detail. But if I think about my favorite science fiction works, Dune really, like, you know, is my number one favorite, right? It's not really hard sci-fi. <laughs> like, Ursula Le Guin's, like, my fa- one of my favorite, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if I think about the whole Hainish cycle, like, Left Hand the Darkness and, you know, all that stuff, it's not really hard sci-fi. So, Dave, what you're telling us is you're soft. Yeah. You're just a soft. I'm just a soft. I'm just yeah. a soft geek, you know? So I straddle both worlds. I can like the hard sci-fi stuff. I like Asimov. I can like that world. If you set down the two in front of me, uh-huh. my inclination is to go with the hard sci-fi. That's my okay. favorite. You know, I love Clark. Niven and Purnell, they wrote the best hard sci-fi. It was very, very, very based on real science and just take one concept and stretch it beyond mm. our current knowledge base. I really love that. And that's part of what attracted me to Star Trek as well is the fact that underneath the soft sci-fi of Trek, there's an underlayment of hard sci-fi. So it's a hard sci-fi setting exploring soft sci-fi themes. I feel like Star Trek is just hard sci-fi, but they serve it to you soft. (laughs) (laughs) There's enough hard in there. But they approach it completely soft. I flip that and say it's soft sci-fi pretending to be rigorous. And I think it depends on like when the rules of the show have morphed over time so much. Next Generation, I think, clearly goes into soft sci-fi territory, you know. Lower Decks is just the softest. As good as it is, you know, right. it's a... It's about the joke. It's about yeah. the joke, yeah. right. I think Drew's right. It depends on... There's so many iterations, iterations now that yeah. it really depends which iteration you're watching. There's a difference between, I think, hard sci-fi and maintaining your own universe's coherent rules. Mm-hmm. That's a little different. Like, I do think Star Trek tries to maintain its universe's mm-hmm. coherent rules. That's the beauty of Lower Decks. Yes. Lower Decks is the nexus of all of the continuity Mm -hmm. and canon. So if you want to reference, Lower Decks is the one to watch. Yeah, right. It also comes down to how entertaining it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like the more entertaining science fiction show or movie is, it's just softer. Not to say dumb it down, but it kind of is to reach that wider audience. Expanse might be the one like challenge to this rule because the Expanse mm-hmm. is really entertaining, but it's actually closer to hard sci-fi, or at least it, it is more interested in like the logical principles of the universe. Other than Epstein Drive, like most yeah. of it obeys the current rules of physics. Yeah, and even Epstein Drive doesn't 
sell itself as true FTL. It's just a boost that gets you closer to the speed right. of light. It's faster and more efficient. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as it's too it's fuel efficient and it's faster. Yeah. So like But they're still isolated to our solar system. Right. Until know? they have the wormhole thing. Yeah. yeah. Expanse is another example of something that has the trappings of hard sci-fi, but the mm. actual story is soft sci-fi, right? Because it starts off as a murder mystery. Right. It's a murder mystery, and then it's a like space opera, like literally it's a war between planets. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, right, it pays attention to the actual laws of physics. Uh-huh. They don't have fancy phasers. They're, they're no. firing projectiles, and they right. miss half the time, you know? Right. Torpedoes. Um, yeah. yeah. And when they have to turn it's a very agonizing process when they have to slow down the ship has to right. flip itself over and fire its engines to slow down and there's no whoosh <laughs> as things go by no and so i like that right maybe that is my favorite hard sci-fi trappings with soft sci-fi nougat <laughs> what about firefly i feel like it's almost too soft because there's no explanation that's into the category of like space western you yeah know, yeah like, which is kind of like a subcategory of like space fantasy like mm-hmm. yeah space western you know like it's really a western but they just put it in space yeah. <laughs> on different planets yeah yeah, yeah on different planets mm-hmm. yeah right down to you know the brown shirts brown coats brown coats sorry. right yeah wow really I know. well it's been a while Jeez. i'm sorry it was only one season in a movie look at my clothes do i look like i know fashion <laughs> well i mean you're wearing two superhero shirts back to back so i don't know <laughs> they're from different universes so you got that going for you <laughs> Yeah. Dan just got roasted just a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's very toasty yeah. here right now. Speaking of climate change. <laughs> Speaking of climate change, uh, which we'll get to next week because it's not that important. Where were we? Firefly. Space Westerns. Yeah, Space. I will say, though, about Firefly, talking about like a principle of a universe, the whole thing is theoretically in one solar system. Yes. There's lots of planets, but actually like... It's not true intergalactic space opera. Yeah. No. They kind of obey the rule of like, well, we probably don't have FTL. Yeah, because the ships yeah. take a long time to get from place to place. Right. Mm-hmm. There's actually a hard sci-fi foundation almost, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. to like, there's limiting principles, yeah. you know, yeah. to the story. That's another aspect. I don't know if it falls neatly into hard versus soft, but how realistic the universe is from the standpoint of does it feel lived in, like real people live in this universe? Yeah. And that's one thing that Firefly has. Mm. It's gritty. Mm-hmm. Equipment fails and not yeah. in a convenient to the plot way, but in a, yeah, that makes sense. That ship's barely held together. Yeah. So of course stuff's going right. to fall apart. Yeah. I mean, because look at Star Wars. That's just... You take out three people in the galaxy, and suddenly it's completely different. You take out Palpatine, you take out Anakin Skywalker, Mm -hmm. and you take out Obi-Wan. Without those three people, the universe will go on in a nice, even, (laughs) conflict-free... Damn those Skywalkers. (laughs) Messed up everything. It's true. I mean, yes. You You take out those three people because, you know, Obi-Wan has to fight them. Yoda's not as significant as Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan then has to bring in Luke. You take out those three people and what are you left with? Pretty even keeled, normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like exactly. world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. <laughs> but you're right. Obi Wan maybe is the greatest villain then because he trains Darth Vader and he trains Luke. Mm. Have you seen the Obi Wan trailer? No. There's this one scene where Obi Wan's talking to Lars, the uncle, and he says, "The boy must be trained when he reaches of age." And oh, Uncle Owen. Yeah, Uncle okay. Owen, and, and Owen goes, "Yeah, like you trained his father." <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> Uncle Owen burns Obi-Wan. Yeah, yeah. Like pretty viciously. <laughs> Anakin's not the only one that got burned. Yeah. Oh, uh, bit of bumps. Uh, uh, Geek puns while you wait by Drew. By Drew. <laughs> um, anyway, what's our point? I guess, where do you end up on that? Kind of, what do you prefer? Because I know people who are like, if it's got FTL in it, I won't read about it. So it's got to be realistic. It's got to be realistic. You know, that's like their principle. Or it's just silly hogwash, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, maybe, but (laughs) that's what makes it interesting. For me, it's about what do I have time for? Do I have time to, like, go about all these new worlds? Like, figure out, okay, here's the backstory for this. Here's the backstory for this. Yay, I have to now think about why this science technology is better than this one. Mm. I mean, I prefer soft with the background of hard. So very much yeah. Star Trek, very much Firefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any story has limits, right? Yeah. I think this is where some space operas can get a little dizzy when it's just about, oh, we hop to this world and then we hop to this world and then we hop to this world. And even the like softest sci-fi, like they're best when there's a limit around like the confines of the story. You know, like again, like Dune, there's magic space dust that like <laughs> lets you see the future and like then you can space travel. Yeah. You're kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> but in real life, we have psilocybin, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a limiting principle in that. Basically, the whole story takes place other than the first chapter, which is on Caladan mm-hmm. and one random chapter and on Giddy Prime. Like the whole story takes place on Dune, on Arrakis. There's a limiting principle of how big is the scope of the action. I think that might be the key is like space opera can get dizzy because like there's no limits. Well, no, you got to impose a limit somewhere on your story, yeah. you know, on your setting. That's to me is universal with any fiction is when you lose sight of what the limits are. Right. Too many authors and script writers cheat in that they set up the rules of the universe. Right. And then they violate them for the convenience of their plot. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, no. If you set up these rules for this universe, you have to stick by them. Right. Otherwise, it is a cheat. That's part of why I don't like Snyder's take on the DC universe. And he's done this with all the characters, really. But Superman is just one of the biggest examples. Mm -hmm. He establishes how long it takes for a Kryptonian to build up the energy to have these superpowers. And then, as you would expect, if it was real, Mm -hmm. how hard it is to adapt to that. Like, you know, showing Clark as a kid when the super hearing develops and not being able to shut out the sounds. Yeah. How he first figures out how to fly, you know, all that. What an arduous process it is. But then, for the convenience of the movie... (laughs) <laughs> when the Phantom Zone escapees come, within five minutes, they have developed all the powers yeah. and they have complete mastery over them. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like that totally pulled me out of the movie. It's like, wait a minute. You showed what a struggle it is. Right. And then these guys just boom. Right. No, Zach, I'm sorry. Because we've got to get to the scene where he's got a pummels. You yeah. know, Zod. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. It didn't happen with Wonder Woman. And I think it's because we had a new director. And I think Patty had that sensibility of storytelling to know, mm-hmm. no, we've got to develop her slowly and keep to the rules of the universe. That's why Wonder Woman 2 didn't really work. It's okay, but yeah. it doesn't work like the first one. No. I think Drew nailed it. It's yeah. exactly because of that. They started doing the typical DC thing and mm-hmm. started violating the rules they'd established. DC yeah. really works when you've got like fish out of water syndrome for the main character. Mm-hmm. So you liked Aquaman? <laughs> yeah, literally. How, how did I not beat him to it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm looking right at the shirt. I'm looking right at the shirt, and right. I couldn't beat him. Uh, couldn't oh, beat him to it. Yeah. I have failed. <laughs> anyway, but like, you know, like Superman, 
literal alien amongst human beings and like how do i deal with that the wonder the first woman wonder woman movie worked because it was like this greek goddess like in world war (laughs) one you know like literal fish out of water you know like and like batman you know like costumed guy amongst like cops (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's when it's best i think that's where like the superman movie went wrong is like you know, this is why Superman's best villain is always Lex Luthor, because it's like mm-hmm. a dude. Yeah. <laughs> so when you get the aliens, the fellow aliens, and it's just, well, okay, now you're no longer what makes you interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can apply the same thing to most science fiction, specifically Firefly. The reason why it works is because you have a ragtag team of outlaws that right. are trying to help people. Mm-hmm. Right. Outlaws with a conscience. Yes. Basically. Pirates with a heart of gold. Right. Yes. Why was there pirates? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, pirates with a heart of gold or, you know, I mean, heck, one of them's a pastor. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a different book, right? Preacher, like, yeah. Ron Glass played that character so well, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the other thing that made Firefly work. The cast. Oh, yeah. It was so well cast. Yeah, they, was... they fleshed out these already well-written characters. Mm-hmm. Right. They were all very good. Witness that all of them actually have gone on to do their own thing there's only like two people on that show that i know haven't gone on to do like other really big things and that's yeah. kaylee the actress that plays kaylee mm-hmm. i haven't seen her in anything big mm-hmm. and then um was adam baldwin mm-hmm. yeah the only other thing i saw him in was chuck and that's it yeah what i love is alan tudyk has made a career out of <laughs> pretending he doesn't have a career post firefly yeah <laughs> well he's actually made a career out of being fish out of water yeah, and, yeah. And, like the resident alien yes yeah, i, I yeah. really need i kind of really want to watch right. um what was his character's name in rogue one the robot what's his name oh uh k2 yes did you see his little miniseries, Tudix miniseries, about going around to conventions and half the people not recognizing him mm-hmm. and, you know, nobody showing up to his autograph booth? Brilliant miniseries where yeah. he just, he pokes fun at himself uh-huh. and at Nathan Fillion mm-hmm. for the opposite. He, yeah. he portrays, yeah. and how he got Fillion to play along because he has Fillion playing this super egotistical <laughs> megastar. <laughs> it's just beautiful. He's made a career out of making fun of fans' hope that he comes back. Yeah. <laughs> <And then he's, laughs> I might be coming back to play. Oh, nope, he's dead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to like watch him like basically troll an entire fan base for the rest, yes. <laughs> for the rest of his career. And yet we love him for it. Yeah, yes. we it's love like, him for it. It's like we love you. We watch you back. But you I just watched you die in serenity. <laughs> I'm a leaf on the wind. What does that mean? <laughs> What's your opinion on serenity since we're here? Personally, I liked it. You liked it? Yeah. And while I didn't like seeing that much death (laughs) for people I liked, I thought it was a nice way to wrap it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked the fact that it had a budget. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, that was really cool. Yeah. I was disappointed. Preacher died, disappointed that Alan Tudyk's character died. Mm -hmm. But it introduced me, and I can never pronounce his name, but the actor who plays the main villain, the assassin that's coming after. Oh, what's his name? Right, right, right. You know, that actor instantly became one of my favorites and i have Mm. followed him since he is just brilliant anyone who can pull off Mm. a villain that well yeah and it's a difficult character the way it was written because again it's a villain who doesn't think he's a villain he's very dedicated to the cause he thinks he's doing right by the government by the same token he has the ethics to know he's tainted and he's dark right in our villain typology it's almost like the dark crusader you know like he knows that he thinks the crusade is worth it, but he knows that he's evil yeah. at the same time. But he does it so 
well. That is not an easy acting job to pull off. He does fanatic well. It's what he plays in Doctor Strange, too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's a fanatic. Yeah, Baron Mordo. Of Mm -hmm. sorts, you know, like... But again, he does it really well because he, Mm -hmm. he is able to portray that, I think I'm right, innocently. Right, or I think these rules are the only thing that matters, or, you know... I am agreeing with everything that Dan said. Okay. It had to wrap it up somehow. Yeah. I think I would have rather had seen Wash's death be at the beginning than the Preacher's. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I would rather see how that reacts. The ship doesn't have a pilot. What the hell are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yes, the Preacher died, and that's sad. Mm-hmm. But that would be a better storyline. Yeah, there would have been an interesting where they flipped the script and where like the final battle starts off between Shepard Book because it's always kind of implied that Book is one of those agents, right? Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. the implication of the whole like that he's one of the former agent like that. To have him die in combat against the agent and then have Mel kill the dude. You should change the ending, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't they come out with a comic book series that kind of did? And they're also going to reboot it. If Bryce Ellis Howard doesn't do it, I would be very mad. She's a shockingly good director. Yes. Yes. She is going to surpass her father very soon. Episode five of uh, Book of Boba is her. She did some Mandalorian episodes too, Mm -hmm. didn't she? Uh, It was the one with the child and and the Mandalorian are on the planet and they have to fight off a a local crime lord that has an ATST. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That one. And then she did the one... In season two with the Mandalorians, when they all came back, that was her episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are always the better episodes. Whenever she, yes. they are the best yeah. episodes. Yeah, another one that surprised me that I didn't know had turned to directing was Leah Thompson. She directed mm. several episodes of Picard. Mm. Oh yeah, oh, interesting. And mm-hmm. they were all excellent episodes, and yeah. I had no idea that's where she had gone with her career. But mm. yeah, better than Fracasus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they weren't bad, mm-hmm. but hers were better. Yeah. And I think, again, this is where we get back to whether it's hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi. You have to have limiting principles and you have to have good characterization. Bryce Dallas Howard and Leah Thompson both pull that off. Picard's a great illustration of limiting principle is important, you know, because like... Wait, no, they don't talk about limits. Let's be real. The season finale of season one just says, nope, we're not having limits. I know, but that's my point. That's my criticism of it is like they just show up with like the... like. 400 of those ships popping up. And it's like, okay, limiting principle, more is less. Yeah. (laughs) One. One would have been better. Two. (laughs) Secondly, why are you all in one specific corner of the planet? Why aren't you surrounding literally the entire planet? (laughs) Again, 2D thinking. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The best Star Trek battle is actually only between two ships, between the Enterprise and and Reliant. In Wrath of Khan, like, the best submarine battle is Hunt for the Red October, you know? It's actually only three ships. It's... The Dallas, the Red October, and the that Alpha, you know, the Russian Alpha there. So, yeah. Limiting. It's the limiting principle mm-hmm. that makes it exciting. That gets into my only criticism. I have loved all the new Trek series. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's irritated me about all of the new ones mm-hmm. is, again, limiting principle. Like the spore drive. The advantage mm-hmm. is it's almost instant transport. Mm-hmm. But then when they portray warp drive in all of them, they're getting from planet to planet unrealistically fast. Right. And that season finale of Picard is a great example, right? Starfleet has ships all over the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. How are they all able to get to this remote planet simultaneously? 400 ships? Right. No, it would have taken quite a long time. Right. And again, limiting principle. Maybe 50 starships could have gotten there. Yeah. For the overall like storyline, just like 
cut all the numbers by 90%. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. the same effect. And you can better detail the ships. Yeah. You can better show them on screen. You know, like, say it's only three. Riker only shows up with three of those things, you know? Well, I don't know, I'm saying the science aspect of it. I mean, how many ships do you need to destroy a planet? Yeah. Now, in Star Wars, you only need one. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm not talking about the Death Star. You can destroy a planet with a Star Destroyer. Yeah. I mean, you didn't need to build the Death Star. Let's be real. You didn't need the Death Star. <laughs> yeah, right. You could have just built a base or, you know, build the Super Star Destroyer. You don't need a Super Star Destroyer, Star Destroyers, and a Death Star. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean the, the Death Star is a ridiculous the the tarkin doctrine stupid <laughs> we'll just say it was the emperor's vanity project right it is I mean, well and that's why they lost right i mean think of how many star destroyers you could have built and then sent off mm-hmm. to hunt rebels mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. at the price of one just because you can't <laughs> literally blow up the planet doesn't mean you can't raise the entire planet and destroy the planet that way yeah so I think we're agreed that, like, regardless of hard or soft sci-fi, it's the limiting principles that actually, like, create the opportunity for good characterization and good... Genuinely good story. That's know? why Rogue One is best, because they all die. All right. three of us agree on that. Yes. Yeah. Rogue One is, absolutely. Right. What's the game? game is this. Which gospel writer would have been a fan of which kind of sci-fi? Hard or soft sci-fi? Because this is a... a podcast about religion somewhere in there so i'm gonna go i'm gonna start with john john is clearly a soft sci-fi fan yeah right and mark is a hard sci-fi fan in my opinion john is like i don't care about the science (laughs) you know he clearly is like all into the psychology whereas mark reads clark obsessively (laughs) is my theory (laughs) drew is deep inside himself Mm -hmm. Now I got to think of the differences between them all. I know, right? Think of the differences. (laughs) While you're thinking, Mm -hmm. I'll go with Luke Mm -hmm. and say that Luke would have been a Star Trek fan because I think Luke would balance the hard sci-fi with the soft. That's probably true. Luke's aiming for that kind of like Star Trek-y. There's techno babble you got to obey, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But here are my characters. Right. Here are my characters. Yeah, that's true about Luke. Absolutely. Then that leaves me with Matthew. Mm Mm-hmm. You could object to or change my characterization of Mark or John. No, I agree, though. That's that's like that makes sense. And I'm trying to think of like, I feel like Matthew would be more hard. Yeah. Than I, soft. I think you're right about that. The last like go and make disciples of all nations. Like, I don't think that's in the other ones. And that's why I would think that he'd be a little bit more hard than soft. Matthew takes everything very literally too. Yes. like he's always like. This is to fulfill that prophecy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, What's the one where um, at the very end is like, oh, yeah, there's more stories. We just cut it that's, down. That's John. That is John. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, that's what I John. thought. <laughs> there's a lot more. We just didn't put it in. Yeah. <laughs> Until Hollywood options these other ideas, I'm not going to write them. Right. I'm not going to write <laughs> Until them. Until Rome gives us more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree with you on Matthew. I think he would lean more hard in his science fiction fandom. To understand how Matthew got something wrong, <laughs> you got to understand Hebrew poetry, right? So mm-hmm. Hebrew poetry, they considered repetition poetic. So repeating something slightly different was considered poetry, yeah. right? In the Old Testament, it says, your king shall come to you on a colt, on the foal of the donkey, your king shall come to you. And that's poetry for the ancient Hebrews, right? But Matthew read this. Matthew takes everything very literally. <laughs> Matthew didn't understand Hebrew poetry. 
<laughs> so when if you read Matthew's account of Palm Sunday, Jesus is riding in on a colt and a foal of the donkey. He's like straddling two animals. <laughs> like a circus performer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Matthew like takes things very literally. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it says that. He must have done, you know, like <laughs> it's a, in his science fiction, he would take things very literally, you know, like what would other John be? The John of Revelation. Oh, he'd be like, he'd be that almost like trippy sci-fi that got written like in like the 60s, you know? Where like, it's like Delaney. Yeah, yeah. like almost like psychedelic. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be like, that would be him. Like he'd be just, yeah, he'd be, he'd be out there. Cyberpunk, like, right? You plug yeah. in, you get all these visions. Right. And, yeah. And he'd be like, what was well, almost like a Philip K. Dick. I find his stories like actually almost hard to comprehend sometimes. Yeah how we get Blade Runner out of Do Android's Dream. <laughs> for me, Dick is very accessible, but Samuel Delaney is, takes it just a little too trippy for me. Right. So something like that. But yeah. I raise you, Jesus. Whoa, you're raising Jesus? I'm raising you, comma, <laughs> Jesus. I am not raising Jesus. No, I am not saying that. No, I am not. This is why proper punctuation is critical. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what would Jesus' sci-fi fit? Yeah, I like that. What would Jesus read? Right. What would Jesus read? That's a hard question. I think he's an average Joe. Like he's an average like Star Wars not like a nerd Star Wars fan, but like a casual, casual blockbuster Star Wars. So he'd be that. He'd be MCU, Marvel Comics right, he'd be movies. So soft, soft. So my theory on this is always his parables are always very like commonplace yeah. things, right? So like his story world is very. It's not like fantastical. You know, there are things that he says that like that doesn't make sense. That's because he's kind of like the average moviegoer. Like he doesn't yeah. need it mm-hmm. to. You know, that's fine. <laughs> And so I think if he were alive today, he'd be doing like parables in MCU world. Like Tony Stark went to. <laughs> For me, I think it would be a difference between outer Jesus and inner Jesus in that. Yes. He made his parables and stuff accessible for the common person, but it's very clear that he's a very hyper intelligent person. So he's writing for his performances, right? For his public mm-hmm. speaking. Yeah. He's being accessible to the common Joe. Mm-hmm. But I think he would actually enjoy, for our definitions here, soft sci-fi. I think he would love Dune. I think he would love Ursula Le Guin. He would love the stories would, uh, that delve deep into human psychology. He would also love things without clear answers. Mm-hmm. He would probably be a huge Ursula Le Guin fan, mm-hmm. actually. Like, because all those parables, actually, if you like read them, like they don't have clear. Like, there there's a later moralistic interpretation, kind of like added on because they yeah. felt the need to. But like originally, he just kind of told those parables and then like walked away. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> and I have to admit, if I was there, I would have been what? Right. <laughs> I think he would love stories like where science fiction where there's like there is no clear like moral to it so he would love firefly without serenity yeah right firefly without serenity just kind of like yeah there it is like no clear parable to it no clear timeline all the episodes are out of order (laughs) (laughs) we all know though that he would rain eternal judgment down on the fox executives for for screwing up the television show (laughs) all right before we close Mm -hmm. the one last major figure yeah paul I feel like he would go from Star Wars to Star Trek. In that order? Yes. He'd start with Star Wars and hating on all the Trekkies and then realizing, hey, maybe it's a little bit better. <laughs> That's the main <laughs> I can't top that. Well, so we're going to end there. <laughs> all right, folks. Well, if you have any disagreements with us, you can comment on this and... 
Or if you want to know what Moses's science fiction genre would have been, you know, just let us know. Yeah. And Dan, they can listen to us on what platforms? <laughs> Pretty much anything now. Okay. Um, so Spotify, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. <laughs> Podbean, of course. I think we're on every major platform now. Good. And I think we've been pirated on several of the smaller ones. Right. So. We are everywhere. Yeah. You can listen to us everywhere. Not just on Earth, but in space. <laughs> this podcast will cause intergalactic situations. <laughs> so we've solved terrestrial problems before. Now we've got to go intergalactic problems. We want to solve the aliens diplomacy problems. Mm -hmm. We can't be limited by Earth. <laughs> Any aliens <laughs> listening, come to us. We, yeah. we, we yeah. can help you. We yep. can help you. Alright, well, if there are any problems you need us to solve, this has been Church in Space. In 3D! See you, folks. Dan? Yeah, Drew. Did you bring the warp drive this time, or did you bring the hyperdrive? Oh, I brought the hyperdrive. Some Zephram dude took all my schematics for the warp drive, and until I get him back, we got to go hyper. Okay. But why does God need a spaceship? I said, what does God need with a starship? That's a good question. <laughs> Look, he set limits. <laughs> He's going to follow them. By our definitions here today, uh -huh. that means that God is a lousy sci-fi writer. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's yeah. writing nonfiction, man. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm depressed, though. It's like in Supernatural, right? Where God's a really bad author. <laughs> I have a few of my chapters that I would really like to be rewritten. Don't we all? <laughs> yes, we do.